All right, we're going to start a new series tonight that I'm really excited about, something I've been wanting to try to decide how to address some of these things for a while now, and I decided to do it in a series of messages because uh, there's a lot of different things I want to break down, but I'm telling you right now, this is not a service or a series that you want to miss any uh, on. This is not one you want to fall asleep in or daydream during because uh, the things I'm going to be sharing with you in these messages are going to help you a lot, especially when it comes to uh, listening to preaching and just listening to our, how, how many of you in here will admit that uh, you tend to enjoy a good theological debate? All right. How, how many had fun with our theological discussion we had going on today? All right. We had we had a good discussion today and, and that was that was good. I like that. I like that we can do that around here. I think that's a good thing. But uh, how many likes it? Um, I don't like getting in the middle of a heated debate where it gets ugly. I don't like that, but how many likes watching other people get into a heated debate where it gets ugly? All right, we're pretty bad. You know, how how many of you are more likely to click on a video if it's so and so exposed? You know, uh, we're, we're probably going to be a little more likely to listen to that sermon. I thought about titling all these sermons I was going to do and just naming them after people. They get a lot more views if we did that, but that's probably not appropriate. But at the same time. When these things happen, how many of you before have ever just got all caught up in a controversy and maybe got let up a creek in a way? And later you kind of wish you could have taken it back and maybe wish you hadn't said so much, but you did. You got caught up in the emotion of the moment. You you got yourself involved in the dispute. You felt like you were a part of it, too, because there's this ugly online battle going, and yet you were able to be a player in it when you left a railing comment you know, on that video so you can feel like you're contributing to the cause. And But then later you're like, ah, I wish I hadn't done that. And the truth is, if we would take these things to heart, not only would we avoid doing a lot of stupid stuff, but we could definitely avoid getting duped and participating in wickedness. And so the title of uh, the series is Perverse Disputings. Perverse Disputings. And so I want to uh, kick this off by reading a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. It says, If a man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But I want you to notice that phrase, or that term perverse disputing that is going on there. Now, there is no doubt, as Christians, we are supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. No doubt about that. We are, without a doubt, in a battle when it comes to the things of God, and there is no shortage of false prophets that are out there who need to be marked and avoided, and false prophets, too, who aren't just going to sit on the sidelines. They are going to do everything they can to deceive people, and we're in a battle against these people. There are many today, though, who they don't want to fight. You know, they don't, and they don't like when people fight over doctrinal issues. They just want to put on their skinny jeans and just let everybody get along with everybody. And, you know, nobody has a problem with anything. Uh, that's not right. Okay. We can't do that either. And I can promise, cause I can promise you this, the devil and his minions, they're never going to stop their lies. So you know what? We can't stop from exposing the lies. We can't stop from telling the truth. But here's what we've got to understand though. When it comes to disputes of any kind, even doctrinal ones, that it is one of the easiest things in the world to allow our flesh to take over and for pride to set in and it get ugly and for us to be in sin real fast. Well, we all agree with that. That is easy to do. And there's never an excuse for sin. Even if we're trying to do something good, we don't have an excuse to sin. We can't do that. And so... We ought to make sure we're filled with the Spirit while contending for the faith. And for us to be doing that, uh, if we fail to do that, we are going to be very likely to find ourselves doing exactly what Paul warned Timothy about here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3-5. through 5. So when we get in the flesh, we start fighting the battle in the wrong way, then we can find ourselves actually doing more damage than good. And folks, I want to be involved in the fight, okay? I'm the kind of person, I, I want in on the action, but I want to contribute for the good. 
I want to do things honestly. I want to strive lawfully. I want to change minds. I don't want to just give somebody a verbal beatdown. I want to actually change minds. I want to actually win people over to the right. I don't want to just rile up the base. Okay, And that's easy to do. I can just get my own little goon squad that just agrees with everything I say, and then we can just go attack everybody, and, I, you know, and I'll keep them happy. But no, I actually want to change minds. I want to actually make a difference. So before we kind of get into some of these things that we can easily find ourselves doing, let's break down this passage a little bit in 1 Timothy chapter 6, because he starts out in the chapter and he's talking about how to treat your masters as servants. But throughout the book of 1 Timothy, he's been giving a lot of instruction to different groups and just how to behave and how to act. Okay, And so he says in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So Paul is specifically talking about behavior or teaching on behavior, specifically here about how you treat your masters. But I think this would apply to any of the behavior that he's been talking about in first in the book of First Timothy throughout this epistle. And as Christians, we are supposed to live godly. God wants us living godly. He wants us being like him. And you know what? As Christians, we shouldn't be going and looking for loopholes in the scripture so we don't have to do these things. Because sometimes being godly is difficult. We don't want to be like the trendies where we make it like nothing's a sin anymore. And everything's all good because we're all under Christ. And I've got, I've got individual soul liberty. So you know what? Don't you preach against any of my sins. Okay? These people have always been around. And here's what they do. They're proud. It says he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words. Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmising. So people who do this, they're just full of pride. And they, in reality, they don't really know anything. Okay, It's like all these people, too, that know he hath no sin cast the first stone. Everybody knows that passage, but do most people really know that passage? No, they're ignorant. They're ignorant, but they will use that as a don't you judge me for any of my sins. You know what? They're, yeah. They're saying something, stuff's coming out of their mouth. They're doting about words, but they don't understand it. They're just proving that they don't know anything. And when that type of thing happens, you know, they're putting, making a big deal, creating unnecessary emphasis on certain words and questions that no one can really answer. And, and I could talk a lot about that. We don't have time. But this type of behavior, though Paul said, this, from this comes envy, strife, railings, and evil surmising. So how does that work? I think it's a progression that we're seeing here. And tell me if you've ever seen this before. Okay, so first off, when we have these strifes going on, we have envy is all often at the heart of much strife. Like, I can't believe how many people are listening to them. Now, can you believe this person has a big following? You ever see these clowns that automatically come up on YouTube that have like a gazillion subscribers and 14 trillion views? And then you listen to it for a little bit and you're just like, this is lame. How come these people get so much attention and nobody cares about me? And you know what? It can cause you to envy if you're not careful. And envy is, is not a good thing, you know, because I'm so much smarter, right? I'm so much better than them. That's envy. Causes us to get out of line. Then strife. I, oh, I'm just going to go expose this guy. I'm going to go fight this person. I'm going to use his name to get attention to my YouTube channel. And so I'm going to expose him for the fraud he is instead of just me teaching the truth myself. You know, and the truth, I could start, you know, and what happens a lot of times too, we start making sides, we start, and I start rallying people to my cause and against them. And again, it's not that I'm just fighting for the truth, it's just actually envy. It was motivated by envy. There is a time to call people out, but I hope envy isn't what motivated you to do it. If it was, chances are you're out of line and it's not of the spirit. Then, so if I start attacking people, a lot of times what we see too, people when they start attacking each other, it's somebody who maybe doesn't really have it coming, they're really not bad, so then the railing starts. Okay? And because an often the doctrinal dispute, many times it's not even that big of a deal. And I'm, folks, I'm going to give some examples tonight of disputes that are going on, and I'm going to illustrate how some of this is going on, because I think it's completely out of line. But often, I got a problem with somebody. I don't like what they're teaching because it's contrary to what I teach. Well, I like to really pulverize this guy verbally, but he probably doesn't really have it coming. It's a saved person. 
So what I tend to do is I make it a bigger deal than it really is and start applying all kinds of labels and things that isn't really true. And at that point, I'm just railing. I'm making railing accusations. And so now I don't want to be accused of being a railer. So, and I don't really have the goods on this person to prove they're as bad as I'm saying. So that's where the evil surmisings come in, which is basically suspecting or imagining upon slight evidence. So it's like if you just see that person, he's got a creepy smile. I think he's a pedophile or a pervert. That's an evil surmising right there. You don't have the right to just go holding somebody accountable because you thought they have a creepy smile. You know, like, like, remember Gomez Adams? Remember how that guy used to just had that creepy smile, you know, and the guy looked like a pervert, all right? He had to have been a pervert. I don't know. I don't know if he was or not. But the truth is, you know, you can't just go calling somebody a pervert because you are thinking that in your mind. That's evil. It's evil surmising. Oh, did you hear what that guy preached? I'll bet he's been listening to John MacArthur. Well, until you actually know he did, maybe I ought to shut up about that. You know, until you actually have the goods. But a lot of times, I need to do this in order to make my railing accusations seem legitimate. I apply all kinds of evil motives. He's just doing this for the money. Well, that's a pretty strong accusation, too. Do you have any evidence of that? You know, is there any proof? Or is this, is that why you are doing these? Is that, if, you know, if you were him, that's why you would do those things for the money? I think you're just revealing your heart. You know, that's, we got to watch out for that. So, he goes on then in verse 5 and says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. So perverse disputings, it would be something that, you know, it could be disputing um, for the wrong side, or it could be a disputing that's just not for a justified reason, or it could just be a dispute about something that's none of your business. This is not your place. This is just not an argument we should be having. I think ultimately what perverse disputing is, it's an argument where truth isn't being represented or promoted on either side. It's just, it's a dumb argument. It's, or you could say it's a, a pointless argument that's not going to get anywhere. Even if you win the argument, you're not going to advance any truth. You're not going to advance anything that's good. So, we want to make sure we avoid these things, but a lot of times there's people that specialize on these dumb arguments. And, uh, you know, and, and he says in here, you know, these people too, they suppose that gain is godliness. Well, I'm successful. You know, I've got the big following, you know, and people think that that's a picture of godliness. And right here, the apostle Paul said, people that are doing this kind of thing, he said, withdraw yourself from them. Okay. Now, here's what I think of. This is, you know, and I, I hate to be carnal, okay, and I, I, I've never watched an episode of The Simpsons in my life, okay? Let me just say that right now. Never watched an episode of The Simpsons. But how many have seen the GIF? I see it right on social media all the time where Homer just like goes backing up and disappearing into the bushes, okay? Everybody seen that one? Okay. That right there, I think, is a good example of what it means to withdraw yourself. And I've been there before where maybe you're around a group of people or something, and then their behavior just gets out of control. And, you know, they haven't crossed any lines where you're going to expose them for being just heretics and frauds, but it's like, you know what? These people are getting out of line. I'm just going to quietly back away. I'm, I'm going to pretend I was never there, you know, and just act like, you know, anybody ever been in a situation like that before, all right? We've all, we've all been there before, or maybe you're just, maybe you're at an event or at work, and there's a conversation that just turns bad and it starts getting ugly and you just kind of back away. Some of you, you run to those things, but you know, if you're wise, you know what you do? You withdraw yourself. You don't want to look like you're taking a position in this fight because it's a stupid fight, but you, and you definitely don't want to get caught in the middle of it. You're not trying to hurt feelings, but you're trying to protect yourself from getting caught up in stupidity. So what do you do? You just withdraw yourself. And that's what Paul said to do in this situation. And let me tell you something, the kind of thing I'm going to be talking about tonight, when you see this kind of thing going on, going on, take Paul's advice and withdraw yourself. Just back out of it, hide, you know, go I'll hide in the bush, bushes, just picture Homer Simpson disappearing in the bushes and you do that to yourself. And so and, and when I see a fight in the IFB, my first instinct is always to take a side. 
That's just, that's my first instinct. But sometimes I do. I see it turn into a perverse dispute. And sometimes I've been too late. You know, I inserted myself and then all of a sudden I realized I'm in the middle of some perverse disputing. And then that's just where you do. You just kind of back away. You just go and hide. And so one thing is a fact. And that is we are always going to be in a fight when it comes to doctrine. It's not going to go away. And I have no desire to withdraw from the fight as long as we, and as long as we're putting truth out, people are going to come after us. People are going to challenge what we believe. That's always going to happen. But here's what I want to do in this series of messages. Okay, is I want to teach you how to fight in the right way and how to spot those who aren't fighting at all, but in reality are just disputing in a perverse way. They're actually violating 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. And understand, a good dispute at any moment can turn into a perverse dispute if we let our flesh get in the way. And I'll, I'd be a fool to not admit that's a danger for me. Okay? I know that about myself. If that's you, you need to know that. And so battles over Bible doctrine are very important. We need to take them serious. And it should be our desire not just to give someone that good old-fashioned verbal tongue lashing, but it should be to actually change people's minds with the truth. That should be our desire. And look what it says in 2 Timothy 2, 23. He says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. There are some subjects that are only going to cause fights, and that's all the good that's going to come from. And stay away from those. It says, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. That's pretty clear right there. I should be somebody who is gentle with people. And if somebody does have a question or a concern, if somebody is confused, I ought to be able to teach them. I ought to be gentle with them. Even if they're wrong, because notice what he says here. It says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. We want people, if they're wrong and going down the wrong path, it shouldn't be our first instinct, expose them, mark them. It should be our first instinct to save them. Stop them. Pray that God will give them repentance from this foolish doctrine. Otherwise, they're going to be in the snare of the devil. This is going to ruin them. This is going to hurt them. It's going to make them unaffected for Christ. We've got to change their mind. But if we're going to do that, we've got to have that ability to teach. We've got to have the ability to be gentle with people and to listen and actually win them over. And let me tell you something. I'm not seeing too many people change their minds by you calling them names. I'm not seeing that. And we're going to talk about calling names next week, probably next week. I'm not seeing too many people when you're just accusing them of things. And when I'm not seeing too many people's minds change when you're screaming at them. Now, is there ever a time to scream at somebody? Maybe. But how many of you get your minds changed when you just get screamed at and called idiot? No, that's where pride sets in. And that's not how we're supposed to do this thing. And we're trying to help people. Because, again, is your desire to get in a dispute because you just like to fight? Or is it because you love truth and you want to see people won over to the truth? That ought to be the motivation right, now, right there. So what I want to talk about tonight specifically, though, because there's a lot of different ways we are seeing people dispute things, have doctrinal arguments, differences, and the way they are dealing with them is dishonest. It is wrong. And if we're going to, if we're going to participate in this stuff and we can, all we got to do is get in the flesh. Just understand we're not going to change hearts and minds. We're not going to help anybody. We're definitely not going to please God. So we've got to make sure we're doing things right. And the first thing that we're talking, that I want to talk about tonight, and that is talking past each other. Okay. Talking past each other. That's a, that's a phrase I hear a lot. I see this phrase used a lot in social media too, because social media people like to argue on social media, don't they? And often what happens in a social media fight is people will begin engaging in what's known as talking past each other, right? Now, the, uh, I guess the definition of that, it's a, it's the English phrase describing the situation where two or more people talk about different subjects 
while believing they are talking about the same thing. And that's a very common thing. And often it turns into an argument. And the problem is neither party understands what the other one's really talking about. And so because of that, you're saying all these things back and forth at each other, but you're never going to come to any conclusion because neither one understands the other person's position and they're, and they're misrepresenting them. And so what we have now is just a fight where nothing's being accomplished. We're not actually sharpening each other. We're not actually, I mean, and again, I love nothing more than just a good discussion where we're challenging each other and where we're opening the Bible and going back and forth. That, that's fine. That's a good thing, but it can, it can quickly turn into a situation where we're just speaking past each other and then pride's going to set in. It's going to get ugly and we're just going to get mad at each other and we're not going to accomplish anything. And I'm telling you, this kind of thing is happening all the time, all the time. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14, I'm sorry, it says, for if the trumpet, verse 8, give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, except he utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken for ye shall speak into the air? We need to make sure when we're talking to people that we're talking to them in a way that they can understand us. That should be a goal because if they don't understand what we're saying, you know what we're doing? We're speaking into the air. And I'm afraid that's what we find ourselves doing a lot, with, with a lot, especially on social media. There are some subjects that you just don't talk about on social media, especially on Twitter. You only get so many characters and it just, they're not going to get what you're saying. And it's just a bad format. It's a bad place to do it. Some people are better at it than others because they know how to communicate using few words. I'm a pastor. I only know how to communicate using many words. So uh, that's not really the place for me to do things. My wife always tells me I make short stories long. And there's probably some truth to that. But look what it says in, in verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, listen, I shall be unto him that speaketh as a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Now, is Paul saying either party is a barbarian? No. But if both parties don't understand each other, both parties are going to think of the other one as a barbarian or somebody who's just ignorant. And I'm telling you, when it comes to theological disputes, one of the things that I'm seeing all the time, because I'm the first one too, well, I try not to always get in the middle of a good doctrinal dispute. If I find out there's one going on somewhere on social media or something, I like to go look. I, you know, I'll, I'll go check that person's Twitter or whatever, see what they're duking it out about. But a lot of times too, and, but I'm also the kind of person, I'm not afraid to call people up. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm the kind of person, I'm not afraid to talk to somebody I think is a heretic. And I'll call them up and say, hey, can you just clarify? I've literally called many preachers up before. It's like, hey, I'm going to be preaching against your position Sunday. I want to make sure I'm understanding you right. Is this what you actually believe? I'm not, I'm not afraid to do that. You know why? Because if I, if, you know, if somebody from that group listens to my message, I don't want to just speak past them because I won't accomplish anything. You know, if I'm going up here and I'm preaching up here against preterists or something like that, it's not going to do me any good if I just go and I just hammer the preterist and I get you all excited who aren't preterists, but every preterist that hears me thinks this guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. This guy doesn't even understand our position. He's completely misrepresenting. You know, he, he doesn't know what we think. And I'm applying all these thoughts and motives. I, I'm not going to win any of that. I'm not going to win any of these people over. I have nothing to gain by misrepresenting somebody's position. And so when disputing doctrine with somebody, Make sure you actually understand their position and they understand yours. You know, and that's going to require you not always talking the whole time, too, and hearing somebody out. Well, this person's a heretic. I don't want to hear what they had to say. Well, then don't talk to them at all. Then just stay out. Then don't, don't engage in the conversation unless you're actually willing to listen. Hey, now, there are some people I'm not interested in trying to change their mind on things because I'm not interested in studying their position. I don't want to know. I don't care. But, you know, there might be somebody else who wants to reach those people. If they want to do that, they can. But in the meantime, I'm not going to go picking fights with them everywhere unless I'm ready to engage, unless I feel like I understand their position. If I'm talking to a Catholic 
Think about that. Now, we all know Catholics are bad, right? But you know what? I should be able to get up here if I'm preaching against Catholicism. I should be able to accurately state their position and their beliefs in a way that when they hear it come out of my mouth, I'm like, Catholics believe this. A Catholic should be able to sit there and say, that's exactly what I believe. Now, they might not agree with my interpretation of the scripture, but when I'm talking about them, if I'm not able to accurately represent them, you know what? I'll never change their mind. Like, he doesn't even understand what we even believe. And so I've gained nothing. I'll get you all fired up because you already all don't like Catholics. And, you know, and you'll overlook any facts that I get wrong because, again, you're not Catholic. You're not even thinking about it. You're against it. But understand, if I actually want to win Catholics over, I better get my facts straight. I better not say things about them that aren't true. If I misrepresent them, they're not going to listen to anything that I say. If I misrepresent their church or their leaders, they are not going to listen to anything I say. I don't understand why this is so hard for people to accurately represent. Why is it I can't find anybody when debunking me? You know, I mean, me specifically on certain doctors, they always have to misrepresent me. Okay? Now, maybe I'm not doing a good job communicating sometimes, and that could be. Sometimes it might be partially my fault, but sometimes it's just because people are doing straw men, which we're going to talk about, which is not, I mean, when you're just killing straw men, you're not accomplishing anything either. I'll say more about that in a little bit, but I gain nothing when I misrepresent. So you've got to make sure you understand them and they understand you before you're going to get anywhere with them. Also, you need to make sure you understand their language. Now, please get this. Okay. Now, look back at 1 Corinthians 14 again. Verse 10, he says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh as a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Again, this isn't reality. This is how it is for him. This is how it is for them. They see me as a barbarian. You know why? Because we don't understand each other. Different countries, different cultures speak in different ways, don't they? Okay. And, and even in America today, we have a lot of slang. There's a lot of differences in our vernacular. Okay. If somebody comes, if, if, if I get up here in church, like, you know, that person's a dog. That's usually an insult, isn't it? That's usually what we call a sodomite or something, right? But did you know, for some people, that's a friendly greeting. What's up, dog? Okay? And if some guy came up to me and was like, what's up, dog? And I punched him in the nose, you'd all be like, you're a jerk. Why are you doing that? It's like, he called me a dog. Hey, the Bible says for without are dogs. He was basically calling me an unsaved reprobate. I know what the Bible says. I know what came out of his mouth. But is that what he meant? No, it's a different language. It's a different way of speaking. Now, we all get that when it comes to this type of thing. But did you know in the religious world, people use the same words in different ways many times? You've got to get this down, folks. There's a lot of religious people out there. They use the same words that we do, but they use them in a different way. They don't mean the same things that you and I mean when we say them. And then when you go out, well, I'm just using their words against them. Okay, but are you accurately representing their words and their meanings? Are you doing that? And I'm afraid many times we're not doing that with people. And if we're going to actually win somebody over, we've got to understand their language. Somebody, people use different terminology. And let me just use this as an illustration when it comes to repentance. Some people use the word repentance or repent different than we do. And you've got clowns out there who want to go throwing everyone in hell who uses the word repent different than we do. That's not appropriate. That is not okay. Yeah, but this is what they said. I know what they said, but I also know their language. And so it's interpreted differently in that world. And sometimes what you actually have to do with people today is you actually have to go to them and say, when you say repent of your sins, what do you mean by that? Can you explain that to me? And then when they explain it to you, you find out, hey, you know what? This person's not a heretic. 
Now, again, I think it's important that we use biblical terminology the way the Bible uses it. I think it's important to stick to biblical terminology. I think it's important that we do. We use our terms right. Why? Because we don't want to send the wrong message. But at the same time, at the same time, a person can be wrong on their use of a word and still not be a heretic. Do you all understand that? I don't care what they said. I do care what they mean. You know, and so you know, uh, repentance for salvation is one of those God-giving repentance. Did you know I do believe that repentance is a gift from God, you could say. Oh, you sound like a heretic, Pastor Tommy. Well, here's the thing. You know, do I mean it like a Calvinist where repentance is something that God just puts on you whether you want it or not? Or do I just see it as a gift because it's something that God allows us to do? I didn't earn the ability to repent, did I? But yet God allows me to repent. God allows me, you know, God allows those who are unsaved to repent for free. How is that not a gift? So, you know, opportunity for repentance, God giving that opportunity. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways we could say these things. You know, people will say too that, uh, you know, in the Calvinists, so there's a lot of things with Calvinists. Don't get me wrong. Calvinists are heretics, okay? But I think they're heretics, not because of some of the terminology I've heard them use that I disagree with, but because I've actually talked with these people and gone in depth to find out what they believe. And I'm telling you, they're still heretics. But often I hear people uh, uh, applying or uh, beliefs and things to them that they don't have. And Calvinists, they hear these people saying all this stuff against them. And we, folks, we hate Calvinists, right? So when we hear anybody preacher get up and rail on Calvinists, we're like, yeah, get them, right? But the problem is, a lot of times Calvinists will listen to stuff like, we don't believe that. That's not what we think. And because we're talking past each other, because we're not understanding each other's language, what ends up happening is we end up avoiding the subjects where I think that I think are really important, where we actually could put these people in their place and, and where we really could show where the real differences are. Because some Calvinists, too, man, they're slick. And they'll talk to you, and they act like they agree with you on everything. And the thing is, verbally, in many ways, they do. But I, I've learned their language. And eh, no, they're still, yeah, I heard what they said there. I heard what they said about once saved, always saved. But when a Calvinist says once saved, always saved, it's not the same thing as when we say once saved, always saved. There's a difference. And you know what you have to do? You got to learn a little bit to figure out what that is. You got to talk to these people. You got to read their writings and, and see where they're coming from. And I'm going to tell you right now, their version of once saved, always saved is wrong. I, and ours, ours is right. And it can be proven from the, from the Bible. But at the same time, people are always just going and I, and I see this and I cringe when I see this. Because I want Calvinists to get exposed, but I want to be done right. And they're just hammering Calvinists for stuff that they don't believe. That's pointless. You're going to speak into the air. You're going to end up doing more harm to our side than good when you do this type of thing. So don't do that. And so we can't condemn a person. So, or you know, when, so Again, when we start declaring to people unsaved or reprobate especially, because of a misunderstanding in language, you know what they're going to do? They're going to look at us like a barbarian. And I've had people before that have specifically confronted me about things where people have accused them of being unsaved. And they're just like, what is wrong with you people? I mean, they're just like, I don't understand you guys. You're nuts. Well, you know, here's what you said. And then I'll explain it to them. And the thing is, they'll be like, okay, but... It's like they think you you guys were nuts for even thinking that I thought that. And I'm afraid a lot of times, and let me tell you something. Our stripe of IFB, we're the best, we're the clearest, we're the most accurate when it comes to repentance. Okay? But we're often jerks about it. And people look at us like barbarians. And it's because we are. We're just like a bunch of maniacs over there acting like animals. You know, you know, like monkeys in a in a zoo somewhere, you know, throwing feces at these people, and they look at us, and it's like like we're stupid. It's like no, we're not stupid. We just don't always behave very well. And the truth is, 
If they would learn our language, they would find out, hey, we're not stupid. And if we would learn their language, we'd find out, hey, they're not stupid either. This is a different way of communicating things. And so I want to actually win people over. I want to find out where they're really coming from. And that's why when we go out soul winning, you know, we often ask people different questions. We're trying to find out where they're coming from. We're trying to find out what they think because there's a lot of churches out there, a lot of groups that use a lot of religious lingo. And people know a lot of the things. Hey, you know, do you believe on Jesus Christ? Yeah, yeah, of course I believe on Jesus Christ. I'm a Catholic. But at the same time, too, they, that just means they believe in Jesus. When we say that, we're meaning, are you trusting in what Jesus did to get you to heaven? That's what, that's what we mean, but we've got to explain that. We've got to ask questions. We've got to get that thing across. And so we can't go around condemning people for improper use of 1611 English. We don't have, we don't have the right to do that. So if in that person's heart, if in that person's mind, they are trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation, they're saved. I don't care what they're saying. Because it's with the heart man believeth under righteousness. It's not magic words. Okay? It's not magic words that we say where we've got to say everything just right. No, it's a heart matter. And there's a lot of people out there that haven't been taught a whole lot. They might even have some bad terminology. But in their heart, they've got it right. And they're saved. And we got to watch out for that. And, and then we need, and then the argument shouldn't be whether or not, like when we're arguing with a lot of the other Baptists about repentance, the real issue should not be, are these people saved? No, the real argument is about how we should present the gospel, how we should use certain words. Now, if we want to have that debate, let's have that debate. I think that's an, I think that's a good one. I think that's an important one. I hope we can help them out. But if we're over there just calling them unsaved reprobates, they're not going to listen to us. We're not, we're not going to get anywhere with them, and we're just going to end up speaking past each other. Another area, too, lordship salvation. Obviously, lordship salvation, meaning you have to make Jesus Lord, meaning you've got to agree to be obedient and to be a disciple and follow him all the way to the end. That is work salvation. Okay, Lordship salvation is bad. But if somebody comes and says, you know, I believed on Christ as Lord and I got saved or, or that you have to affirm the Lordship of Jesus Christ... Well, you know what you have to do? You have to ask follow-up questions. Because here, here's an example, too. If somebody, you know, in a, I would say that for a person to get saved, they have to recognize Jesus as Lord, meaning he has the power to throw me into hell if I don't obey his law and believe on him. And isn't that what we're doing when we get saved? When we acknowledge the guilt of our sin, what we are doing is we are acknowledging that the word of God is the authority. I don't, I'm not going to plead guilty to a law that I believe is unconstitutional. Or I'm not going to plead guilty to an authority that I do not recognize. Y'all understand that? I'm not going to do that. If, if one of you after church tries to put a ticket on my car, I'm not going to acknowledge your authority and pay that ticket. Because I don't, I don't believe you have that authority. Okay? And understand, one of the reasons a lot of people reject Christ is they don't believe he can throw them into hell. They don't believe that they are guilty of his law. And you know what? If you're going to get saved, you better admit that you're a sinner, you transgress God's law, and you deserve to go to hell. Now, doing that is recognizing the lordship of Christ, isn't it? But is that me pledging to live a life of indebted servitude? To him? No, it's not. So just understand, people can say wrong things sometimes that send different messages, but we've got to actually find out what they mean before we just go pulverize them. And people have, they've picked up bad lingo places, doesn't mean they're not saved. At the end of the day, salvation, it's a heart matter, and so we want to get to the heart of things. So we must assume that people we are trying to convince us something, we need to assume they're capable of critical thinking. But you know what? Many pastors today, they don't have audiences of critical thinkers at all. You know, because, and because of this, they get up and they have a bad habit of constantly using 
logical fallacies to get their point across. And folks, I'd like to tell you I've never done this before. I know I've done this before too, but I'm, I'm telling you this is something we got to watch for, we got to work on. People ought to hold their pastors accountable for this kind of thing because it's wicked when we do this. The Bible says in Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Do you know we're not always supposed to just reprobate the gainsayers? We're trying to win people over. We're going to try to exhort, we're going to try to convince them, and we're going to do it through sound doctrine. And throughout this series, we're going to talk a lot about different logical fallacies that uh, just prove a person doesn't know what they're talking about or things that don't make sense. That if we're actually talking to somebody who has the ability to think for themselves, we're never going to win them over. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to assume you all are idiots in here and that I can just get up and use these kind of things and get away with it. And so often when we're in a conversation and when we start speaking past each other, many times it's out of ignorance. Sometimes, and I've been there before where I've been like, you know, especially on social media where a question comes up and I'll answer the question and it turns out I didn't understand the question. And so I end up talking about something that they weren't asking about because we just weren't on the same page. In fact, that happened to me yesterday in a conversation I was having. I, I misunderstood uh, the question. And so when I answer the question, the other person got really confused about what I meant by that. And I'm like, what in the world? And then I realized, oh, this is what he thought I meant. And then I had to do, I had to do another clarification. But, and so the, at first we were talking past each other out of ignorance. It wasn't intended. But often, this is what happens. People figure it out. And instead of just admitting it or maybe even admitting to some common ground they resort to straw man fallacies this happens when when we're speaking past each other and the flesh gets in the way this is when straw men get destroyed this is when we're just like a bunch of flying monkeys tearing up the scarecrow and the wizard of oz it's just out of control and when this happens and this because the straw man fallacy it occurs when someone takes another person's argument, if you don't know what it is, or they take their point and you distort it or you exaggerate it into some kind of extreme way, and then you attack the extreme distortion as if that was really the claim the person's making. That is not right. So if I hear, if I hear a preacher misuse the word repent, and then I get up and preach an entire message showing that salvation is through believing in Christ and not from quitting your sin... And then, you know what? He's going to be like, well, I don't think it means quitting sinning. And so, you know, I'm preaching this whole message, just hammering this guy. Can you believe he said repent of your sins? Over and over again, the Gospel of John says believe. Never use the word repent one time in the Gospel of John. This guy thinks he's turned from all his sins. No, he doesn't. Go ask that guy if he's turned from all his sins. No, he'll tell you I'm a sinner still. This guy thinks you got to quit sinning in order to get saved. Can you believe that? Well, no, he doesn't. Well, that's what he said. He said, you got to repent of all your sins. To be saved, that means, that means quitting all your sins. Well, that's what that means to you. That's not what it meant to him. So now I get up and I preach a whole message, debunking so-and-so. And then so-and-so is out there listening like, I don't believe that at all. You know what I did? I defeated a straw man. And now anyone that goes to his church who actually knows what he teaches is going to think I'm a liar and I'm an idiot or a barbarian. I've accomplished nothing. Now, I've got you all excited because you already didn't like them. And you just like hearing me get up here and pulverize somebody. But see, what often happens when perverse disputings start taking place, you know, that um, that's when we often start labeling somebody a heretic. And then a lot of times we end up finding out they aren't as different as we thought. And instead of admitting that, maybe we misjudge them we pretend we still don't understand their position and we start talking past them. And when we, again, when we're talking past somebody, we're just failing to actually get to the real disagreement and then we just have a pointless back and forth argument. That's not good. All right. So let me illustrate it this way too with the great mask debate. All right. We all, we all know about the great mask debate. Okay. Now, so let's say on one side, We've got the, you know, Mr. Typical anti-masker who does not want to be told to wear a mask. He feels violated. He feels like his constitutional rights are being taken from him as we speak. All right. I got some anti-maskers here with me. 
Okay? But then you got the promaster, all right? Now, Mr. Promaster, he believes everything the government tells him, right? You know, he, but here, or he might just be somebody who just doesn't want to fight the battle and doesn't mind putting the stupid thing on. Okay? So the first thing we, what I kind of did there at the beginning, I set up a false dilemma or false dichotomy, which is also a logical fallacy. You know, in other words, if you, if you are okay with wearing the mask, you're just like a dirty communist red coat that just worships at the altar of Dr. Fauci and you just can't wait for the government to come and take all our rights away and, and you want to take the mark of the beast. Right? Hey, and that, and that, the argument never goes that far, does it? <laughs> just change one letter. Mask to mark. Tell me. There's not a correlation right there. But you know, the truth is, that person maybe. They just don't see this as a battle worth fighting. And, you know, except, listen, it's the government forcing this stuff on us. It's not even really the government. It's these corp- dirty corporations. It's not that poor sap that's just wants people to leave them alone, including the anti-maskers. He just wants everybody to leave them alone. I'll put the stupid mask on and I can go somewhere and be in peace. That's how they really are. And so what we've done, though, we've created two sides. We've drawn a line in the sand so that everyone that's pro-mask, you know, they're a communist promoting the mark of the beast. And the anti-mask guy, he's just a founding father, worshiping, anti-science terrorist who loves killing everybody. And he hates soul winning. And he probably worships John MacArthur. Okay? So that's, you know, that's, that's what we've done. Now, Mr. Typical Anti-Masker, he likes and shares literally every article he sees against masks. Right? Because he hates them. He doesn't want to wear them. He wants to change people's minds on these things. And you know what? He's so zealous about it, he sometimes likes and shares posts that aren't factually true. All right? And so, in the heat of the argument, a lot of times, he makes statements like, masks do absolutely no good, completely worthless. Okay? And now what this does, this gives the guy who's not really pro-mask, but just doesn't want to join the revolution like the rest of us, it gives him the opportunity to retaliate now and prove Mr. Anti-Masker wrong, all right? So, so for, Allie, come up here and help me with this, all right? I got this dirty mask up here that I wear when I'm forced to. It's all covered with dirt and nastiness, all right? So let me show you something, all right? So I'm Mr. Anti-Masker. I hate it. These things are worthless. You think these things are going to stop a virus? Oh, yeah, that's not going to do nothing. This thing can't do anything, but... But in reality, it's not about something the virus is about stopping the spit. Now, I did this the other day, and I was surprised what happened. So check that out. Look at that. That can hold water, can it? You know what that tells me? If that can hold water like that, that can stop spit. All right? So go ahead and get rid of it. You know what I just proved right there? Masks aren't completely worthless. So now... I just proved Mr. Typical Anti-Masker, just idiot. Look at that. I just proved all of you that masks can stop spit. And yet some of you out there, you're so dumb, you're so ignorant, that you think it's completely worthless. But, you know, the truth is, it's, again, yeah, I was liking the post and I was sharing the post because I just hate masks, all that. But at the end of the day, you know what the real discussion is about? I don't feel like I should be forced to wear one. Isn't that what it really comes down to? But that's not what we're talking. You know what we're talking about? Whether or not spit stops, you know, or a mask will stop spit. Yeah, that's pretty simple. But the thing is, too, I made some anti-masker out there mad that I just proved that they hold spit because they've told everybody on Facebook that it doesn't. But at the end of the day, who cares? Is that really what it's all about? Listen, if we all would go around in a bubble, we would be less likely to catch COVID. But do we all want to go around in a bubble? You know, at the end of the day, the real debate is, should the government be telling us to do this stuff? Do they have that authority? But you know what? We're not. And, and a really, most of the time, where the real debate's at, a lot of times it's a very complicated thing. It's a very complicated situation. It's a unique situation for different people in different circumstances and, and for different churches. But we're never talking about the real things. We're always sidetracked talking about dumb stuff. And what ends up happening, we end up just speaking past each other, and that accomplishes nothing. 
we cannot, we cannot do that. That's going to end up making things worse. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of things like that. So I think we should all be able to agree and be on the same side to admit that the government and Dr. Fauci are bad. Right? And listen, if you could tell me tonight that Dr. Fauci is a Satanist and a pedophile and, you know, has an NIV Bible, and I believe him. I, I believe you if you said that. I don't like the guy. Might not be factually true, but I would probably, be, I, I would probably believe you. Just, you know, I'd probably like that post <laughs> if, you, if, if, you, if you said that. But, you know, the truth is, when it comes to a lot of the stuff that's going on, we probably have a lot more in common with the people that we're fighting with than we have not in common. That's, that's the truth. But you know what? We're not going to find out because we're going to be too busy fighting about foolishness. You know why? Because we're speaking past each other. We're fighting a battle in, in pride. And if I have a different, said different beliefs in some areas, there are some areas where we are allowed to disagree. Okay. So, and for example, and, and I, I've been, I've been trying to talk to people about this, been trying to set people straight on this. And I don't know if these people are just little kids. And just aren't capable of taking instruction and hearing things if they're just playing dumb so they can continue talking past me. But listen, this whole thing about where Jesus was when he was dead. Okay? I'm telling you, I don't care if you have a different belief than me about what it meant for Jesus to be dead. Okay? I don't think a person who believes he went to Abraham's bosom in paradise is a heretic. Okay? And if somebody believes he went to hell but he didn't suffer, I don't think they're a heretic. Okay? But I believe he did suffer in hell. And I think it's a I think it's a good subject where we can talk about and have a discussion, all that stuff. And, and at the end of the day, I'm not going to beat people up too bad over it. But the thing is, when I I want to have a discussion about what did he die the death of a sinner or did he die the death of a saint? Or did he die some special unique death? for him. I think he died the death of a sinner. That, that's my opinion on that. I'd love to talk to people about that. But unfortunately, you try to talk to some people about that, well, you're denying the blood. What? I, I am? I, we sing songs about the blood all the time. I love nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nope, you're saying if he suffered in hell, that blood wasn't enough. And, it's, and, and this is the thing, too. I hate to be mean. I hate to throw insults out there. But it's like, you know, hey, are we in kindergarten here? Are we just absolute novices when it comes to the scripture? Let, let me explain something to y'all about the blood. Okay? Y'all want to know why the blood was so important? It's because it's what God's word called for. God called for the shedding of blood. The Bible in the Old Testament taught how the life is in the blood. And so Jesus' blood being shed, which was 100% necessary, caused him to die. And he had to die for us. And so the thing is, you got people like, all you're allowed to talk about is the blood. But no, everything that the Bible called for, Jesus had to do. Everything that was prophesied, refer back to my message, all prophecies matter. All of it had to be done because God's word called for it. And God's word called for the shedding of blood. So you better believe that the shedding of blood was important. But him just bleeding isn't the only thing he had to do. Did you know he had to get circumcised on the eighth day? Did you know he probably bled from that? Did you know if he wouldn't have done that, he wouldn't have fulfilled the law and he couldn't have been the Messiah? Oh, you're saying he had to be circumcised to get us to heaven. Yeah, actually, technically I am because he had to fulfill the law. But that's not the only thing he had to do. And you know what? When he bled on the cross, that's not the only time he bled. That's not the only time he suffered. Well, you think he suffered in hell, you're saying he suffered twice. Wait a minute. I believe he suffered in the garden. And you know what? He sweat as it were great drops of blood while he's making his high priestly intercessory prayer for us. I believe that had to be done. And then and he suffered there. And then he did. He suffered on the cross. And then he died. And when the Bible says he once suffered, okay. So that means the only suffering he ever did was on the cross. He never suffered before that. Are you sure about that? Because I think what it means when he says he once suffered, it's showing that it was a one-time thing, that it doesn't have to be done over and over again, like the Old Testament sacrifices that he did every year. Okay. Now, unfortunately, 
to actually make sense of this, you have to do a little bit of study in the Bible and actually understand all the things. You have to actually go back and read the Old Testament. You have to actually read the passages about the blood. But no, you just, and then just to go beat your chest, oh, hardcore on the blood, and you're not. I'm sorry. Are we speaking past each other because of innocence, or are you just being ignorant now? And, and you know, when I talk to you and I tell you, and I explain these things to you, and then you still go on and do that, I think you're just being a jerk at this point, and I think that's completely out of line. You better believe we're all for the blood. You know, I could turn it around and go to you and say, you know what it says in the book of Revelation? Jesus came and said, I am he that was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I could accuse these people of denying the death. I could, I could do that. Oh, you're saying he had to bleed. I believe he had to die. And in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, he said, I am he. He didn't say... I am he that bled. And isn't that what they all do? The red herring fallacy? It doesn't say anything about blood in this passage. It just says, I was dead. But how did he die? Again, the life is in the blood. Of course, yes, he had to bleed. The blood had to be shed. But it would be stupid for me to accuse these people of denying the death. And it would be stupid for me to accuse dispensationalists who believe in Abraham's bosom of denying the death. Everybody affirms the death. Everybody affirms the blood of Christ. But... Many people, they don't want to talk about where the real issue is because they're not comfortable, they don't understand it, and so what do they do? Straw men. I'm going to preach a whole sermon about the blood and prove just how hardcore I am, just screaming it is finished, not having any clue what that actually means, not understanding the, I don't even understand the theological significance of the blood. And why it had to be the blood. But you better believe I'm going to hit, you know, cream all these other people and accuse them of the, denying the blood atonement. Folks, that's serious. And you know what? When somebody accuses me of denying a blood atonement, you know what? I hear them as a barbarian. I think, I think you're a barbarian. Now, a, a barbarian is somebody too that's just, they're so dumb, they're so stupid, you, you can't even teach them anything. And, and, you know, there's some people I've talked to, it's like, yeah, I, you know, I see where you're coming from. And, and they don't do that. But then there's some, they're just, they're still stinking barbarians. And it's like, I'm sorry, you know, this camp meeting theology where you just use slogans and like they, they feel like they can sanctify anything they say as long as they say it with a southern accent and say it really loud. But I'm sorry, what you're saying is factually wrong and it doesn't make sense and you, you're misrepresenting. When you do that kind of thing, you fail to actually change people's minds. That is out of line. We cannot, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. Anybody who would accuse our church of denying the blood atonement and teaching a hell atonement is either a barbarian or a liar. Okay? I think barbarian would probably be better. I think, I think a barbarian can get saved. You know, I think a barbarian has some hope if you can find a way to teach them. But you know, somebody, if somebody's just a liar, that's, uh, that's a pretty serious thing. And we don't need to do this thing of talking past each other. And you know what? There's, there's been times I've heard people in different groups teach weird things. And, and, you know, and as a preacher too, my first instinct, I'm going to debunk that. But then it's like, I'll go like, listen again. I was like, you know what? I don't really understand this. I don't, I don't really even get what, you know what? And sometimes we just have to say, you know what? I'm just not going to bother these people because I don't get it. I don't understand it. They're not causing problems in our church. I just heard it. I didn't like it. You know what? I just need to walk away from that until I figure it out. And then when I figure it out, then I can address it. Then I can put them all in their place. But until then, I need to just keep my mouth shut because when I defeat straw men, I accomplish nothing. If I talk past you, I accomplished nothing. And there's people today, they're suffering. They're, you know, they're hurting themselves. They're hurting relationships. They're hurting, uh, friendships. They're hurting things with people in their church. And it's because they're talking past them. Don't do that. You're going to have to take some time. You're going to have to listen, communicate, and then you're going to have to actually be honest. And as much as I like to throw everybody in hell who doesn't disagree with me or who doesn't agree with me, there are some people in this world who disagree with me that are still saved. And I don't need to make them worse than they are. That does not help my argument. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, 
I pray that you'll use this message, Lord, to just help people identify a lot of the foolishness that's out there and that they won't get caught up in these things. Lord, there's uh, uh, so many false prophets and crazy things being taught, and I pray you'll just protect us from these things. Equip us, Lord, to uh, be able to answer and help us to uh, do these things in an honest way. Help us to stay in the spirit during these fights so we can really make a difference and change the hearts and minds of people. In your name we pray. Amen.